Can you give the Lord some praise this morning? You know, last week we began a new series called For Something More. And kind of the whole premise of the series, and I hope that you kind of walked away with this, is this, is that God has created you for something more. And we talked about what the more was. The more was, for those who don't know Christ, eternal life. And for those who do know Christ, the more was an abundant life, that Christ wants us to experience abundant life. But yet the struggle we have in that, and we talked about this, was that for, for many of us, we need to know that one of the reasons we're not experiencing the more that God has for us is because we have a real enemy. And that enemy is who? Not a rhetorical question. The enemy is who? The devil. The devil is our enemy, right? We saw that last week in John 10, 10, that the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the reasons we don't experience the more that God has for us is there's a real enemy that's out there on the attack. But let me give you another reason that's going to kind of shape the rest of our series. The reason that many of us miss that what God has for us, the more he has for us, is not just the devil, but it's us. Now, here's what I want to say. We give the devil sometimes way too much credit. We'll say things like, the devil made me do that, right? Anybody ever, your kids may have told you that, you know, the de- you know or whatever. We, we kind of think that way. And what we know is that's not true. There's some, the reason sometimes that we miss out on the more that God has for us is us. It's our own struggles and sometimes our own decisions. So for the next several weeks, what we're going to be talking about is some things that we struggle with, some decisions that we make that truly keep us from experiencing the more that God has for us. So this week I've been kind of sitting down and taking some inventory of my own life and some of my own struggles and, and some of the way that I'm personally wired. And I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but the way I'm wired is I'm a list person. I like to make lists. Any other list people in the room? Okay, there's a few godly ones in there. Okay, so I like, no, I'm just kidding. I like lists. Now, let me tell you why I like lists. I like lists because I like to be organized. I love clarity. I love decisions. I mean, I love a path to head down. And so I like organization. Now, let me tell you another reason I like lists is because I love checking things off my list. Now, here's how weird I am. If I've done something that's not on my list, I will write it on my list later just so I can check it off. Anybody else like that? Okay, awesome. I'm not alone. All right. So I love that. Now, here's the thing about my list is I love checking things off because at the end of the day, it gives me this unbelievable sense of accomplishment. Like my life is good and I'm heading the right direction because I've checked off everything on the list. And that's kind of how I'm wired. Here's where that becomes an issue. When I take that same mindset and I pawn it off and impose it on my relationship with the Lord, right? You know, my relationship with God and my walk with God becomes about a list, you know, a checklist. Okay, did I read my Bible today? Check. Did I pray today? Check. Did I share my faith today? Check. Did I give my tithe on Sunday morning? Check. And I used to say, well, Doug, are any of those things bad? No, all those things are good. In fact, all those things should be a part of the life of a believer. But here's where it becomes a problem. When those things become part of our religious activity instead of the overflow of our love and relationship with God. Now, did you hear me say that? Because that is huge this morning. The problem we have with a list of reading our Bible and praying and giving and, and all those things, all those things need to be part of our lives as believers, but here's where it becomes a problem. is when those just become simply a religious activity that we perform instead of it being out of the overflow of our lives. Here's why. Because then those things become something we do out of obligation and out of duty, not out of love and passion. Question. What if we treated our spouses like that? Think about it. Honey, 
I'm going to tell you today I love you because the guy that married us 24 years ago told me that every day I should get up and tell you I love you. So today I'm telling you I love you. See you later. Would that be awesome? Would that be great? Or, hey, honey, it's our anniversary, and so the guy that married us gave me a handbook of what I need to do to stay in your good graces. So it says on page 42, paragraph 5, that I'm supposed to send you flowers on anniversary, so I've sent you flowers today. I hope you're happy. I mean, how well would that go in a marriage? Women, how well would that go in your marriage? Terrible, right. At best, the relationship would be sterile, and there would be no real connection. Listen to me. That's why some of us are struggling in our journey with Christ. There's no real connection for many of us because our journey has become sterile because it's become about duty and obligation and no longer about passion and relationship. And some of us are there this morning. And so here's the thing I want us to drill down on today. That the life that God has for us, the more that he has for us is this. It's not about religion. It is about a relationship with him. And I'm just going to be really honest this morning. I think some of us, if you're like Doug, you struggle with that sometimes. Sometimes doing for God becomes motivated by the wrong thing. It's because I'm supposed to instead of because I love him and I want to. And some of us struggle with that today. So today, we're going to look at a guy that equally struggled. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 3 is where I'm going to be this morning. So this guy that we're going to look at today, he was a struggler. I mean, he struggled with the very same things that we struggle with as it relates to religion versus relationship. Now, let me remind you, religion, okay, religion's all about duty. It's all about doing because I'm supposed to. Relationship's all about I do because I love and I want to. There's a difference there. Now, the guy we're going to look at today, his name is Nicodemus. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels because I find myself oftentimes relating to the heart of Nicodemus. And there's three things that I want us to glean from the passage today. And here's the first thing. I want you to write it down. I want us to first notice with me the mindset of the religious. What is the mindset of a religious person? Someone who kind of lives their life in a religious sort of way. Look with me in John chapter 3, just verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, I'll come back to that, whose name was Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. Let's just pause there for a minute. Now, this tells us a lot about Nicodemus, and you may know this, you may not know this, but if you were a young Jewish boy, your mom and dad had this dream for you. One day they wanted you to become a rabbi. They wanted you to be a Jewish rabbi, a Pharisee, maybe even a Sadducee. I mean, the Sadducees were kind of the political side of the Jewish government. The Pharisees were the the spiritual side of it. But we find out from Nicodemus, he had his hands in both. I mean, this guy was one sharp dude. But the moms and dads, growing up as a Jewish boy, had a dream for their, their sons and daughters. You got left out. Sorry about that. But it was to be a rabbi, to be a spiritual religious figure. Now, that journey was a difficult journey. Let me tell you a little bit about the journey. I won't give you all the names because it will confuse you, but let me say this. When you were between the ages of five and seven, you went to the first level of school that a Jewish boy would go to. And here's what your graduation looked like. You ready? Five to seven years old. You would have to recite what was called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. How many of us have that memorized, by the way? Nobody? I don't either. So, so that was, I mean, that's, that was graduation day. And here's what would happen. If you couldn't accomplish that, here's what they would tell you. Well, then you need to go do your father's business, whatever your dad did. That's why Jesus found Peter fishing. Peter was a Jewish guy who obviously at some point in the journey couldn't cut it anymore, and he goes back to his father's business, which was a fisherman. 
And so after the age seven, when you got beyond that point, like between eight to like 12 years old, the next thing you had to have memorized was much of the Old Testament prophets. You had to have it memorized. Not, not, not quote the books of the Old Testament, the books memorized. Here's the point. There were about four or five levels for a Jewish boy to go through. And at any point you could not accomplish it, they would stop you and go, you can't cut it. Go do what your father does. Go, uh, go to his business because you can't make it as a rabbi. Here's my point. Nicodemus was not an ignorant man. He had gone all the way through the ranks. He was the best of the best. He was the smartest of the smartest. He was the most theological man you would ever want to meet. He was a great guy, a moral guy. I mean, this guy had climbed the ladder, and he had succeeded at every level, and now he is a Pharisee. Now he's a rabbi. Now he's a ruler of the Jews. This was a big deal. He was a religious man. If you got that, say, I got that. You got to know that. He was not an ignorant person. Educated beyond any of us in this room. That's who he was. But he was a religious man, which meant this. In Judaism, religion focused on two things. Number one, it focused on duty. Doing the right thing. What must I do to please God? Religion always focused on duty. What do I have to do to please God? The second thing it focused on is what do I have to be? I need to be a good person. I need to be a moral person. Can I just give you a parenthesis? I want to chase a rabbit for just a moment. I've heard tons of people in my life go, well, you know, so-and-so, they're such a good person. And, and I just want to say this to you out of love. Scripture says there's no one good, no, not one. Good doesn't cut it. Because good is in the eye of the beholder, right? And in the eyes of God, there's no one good. No, not one. But for Judaism and a religious man, the two focuses were, to, to who, who do I need to be? I need to be a good person. And what must I do to please God? Now look at verse 2 because something awesome happens. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now think about this. This guy who's at the pinnacle of his career. The pinnacle of his field goes to Jesus. It's interesting. Many scholars will debate why he went to Jesus at nighttime. And honestly, I don't care. Here's what I care about. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why not his fellow Pharisees? Here's why. Because Nicodemus, with all the education and with all the things that Nicodemus knew, all the things that Nicodemus believed, all the things that Nicodemus had invested in his life to be in right standing and close to God, he was struggling inside because he knew there was something more. Right? And so where did he go? To the source. He went to Jesus. Look what happens in verse 3. Here we go. Verse 3 says this. Jesus responds to him, says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute. Question for you. Did Nicodemus ever ask Jesus a question? Come on, did you see that? In verse 2, he goes to Jesus, and then Jesus gives an answer. Did Nicodemus ever ask a question? No. Why? Because Jesus knew his what? His heart. Jesus knew the struggle that was going on in Nicodemus, just like Jesus knows the struggle that's going on in everyone in this room today. He already knows the struggle. But I love, I love what Jesus did because we understand by the answer that Jesus gave to a question that was never asked, we understand what question Nicodemus was asking him in his heart. 
we understand the question that was raging within Nicodemus, which was this question. You ready? You might want to write it down. What must I do to be saved? That had to be the question. Based on the answer that Jesus gave, the question that was raging within Nicodemus is, what must I do to be saved? Hey, Jesus, if you would just give me a checklist, because Jesus, my life has looked like this. I have been this Jewish boy, and man, I have passed every level, and I know the ceremonial cleansing. I know what I need to do. I know what I have to do before I can enter the temple. I know what I have to do before I make sacrifice. Jesus, I've got a ton of checklists, and these checklists have kind of kept me in line. Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Just give me a checklist, Jesus, so I know that I'm good with you. But notice Jesus' response. Unless you are born again, no one will even see the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus saying to Nicodemus? Religion's not enough. It's not. Nicodemus, it's not, it's not enough to be a good person in your own eyes. It's not enough to just do all the right stuff. You must be born again. It's not about religion, Nicodemus. It is about a personal relationship with me, Nicodemus. Do you see that now? Do you see that in the passage? Now, if you're Nicodemus, are you frustrated a little bit? Are you frustrated if you're Nicodemus? Come on, talk back. Are you frustrated? Yeah, listen to what Nicodemus does. This is, this, is, this is hilarious. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, gee, I mean Nicodemus is kind of like he's throwing the towel and going, I, I don't know what's going on anymore. I, I'm so confused, Jesus, right now. I came to you because there's a struggle, and you're talking about being born again. I just want a checklist, Jesus. I just want a punch card and a checklist so I can go through it and know that I'm good with you. Because I know you're from God. You've done healings. I mean, I get it. But I just want a checklist. I don't want some philosophy. And you're talking about being born again? Come on, Jesus. What am I going to do? Insert, you go back into my mother's womb again? That's impossible. Listen, Nicodemus was blown away by what Jesus taught. I mean, it was like a foreign concept to him. He thought this was absurd, what Jesus was teaching. But the truth of the matter is Jesus was trying to drill down on this fact. It's not about duty and being good. It's about a relationship. Now, here's why I'm laboring this. Because I think what Nicodemus wrestled with is some of the same stuff we wrestle with. I think if you thought about it long enough, you would agree that this same ideology is permeating the world that we live in. For example, if you're a business person, here's something you just know. That, hey, if you want to do well in business, and not, not like cheat people or back by that kind of stuff, but if you want to do well in business, you have to make right decisions, right? Right? Come on. Are you with me? Right? You got to make good decisions. And you need to be a person of integrity and morality, Right? Right? Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Yes, you need to be, right? Yes, that's part of it. I mean, those are good things. And then we see it even in a relational sense. Sometimes, unfortunately, we hear stories of where parents treating their kids where that somehow that they, they make their kids feel like they love them more when they do the right thing or they love them more when they're trying to be the right person. There's like, I mean, we see it everywhere. But here's the problem is when we take that same religious mindset of what we must do and who we must be, and we assume assume that if we do enough good, and if we can be a good enough person, that somehow we're going to be accepted by God. And the answer is we won't. We are not accepted based on performance and behavior. I'm accepted because a man 2,000 years ago named Jesus died on a cross for me. I'm accepted because I yielded and surrendered my life to him. 
And I'm saying this because I think there's many of us in the room, and maybe you're just struggling today. Because if we have a religious mindset, listen, if our mindset is religious-minded, meaning we think we have to do and we have to be in order to be in right standing with God, we've made this book not about grace but about performance. And we've missed it, just like Nicodemus. So I want you to first of all notice with me the mindset of the religious. The second thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the truth about salvation. In other words, the truth about what it means to really have a relationship with Jesus. Look at me in verse 5. It says this. Jesus said to him after his crazy response, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> in order for you to be in a relationship with me, it requires a new birth. A new birth, Nicodemus. To be born again requires a new birth. And then Jesus uses two terms here that have a little bit of ambiguity in them. He talks about water and spirit. Now, from a very 30,000 foot view, let me tell you what that means. Basically what Jesus is saying, just Nicodemus, as you were born physically, you must also experience a spiritual birth. Everybody got that one? That's pretty simple, right? Because when, when before a baby comes, what breaks? The guy's like, I don't know. Well, ask your wife, right? It's the water, right? <clears throat> it's the water. And so just before, just as you have a physical birth, you must have a spiritual birth. And we all know that. But the implication that Jesus is giving Nicodemus is a little deeper than that and something that Nicodemus would have understood because remember, he was a Jew of all Jews. He knew all this stuff. He knew the Old Testament. See, water in the Old Testament, and later you can look this up, Ezekiel 36. We're not going to put that on the screen today, but you can look this up later. Ezekiel 36, water represented cleansing. Now, it didn't cleanse them, but it represented it. Now, we understand that because in baptism, does the water clean anybody from their sins in baptism? Does it clean them? No. But is it a picture of the old life and the new life? Is it a picture that I've been cleansed from my sins because of Christ? Yes, it is. So water is a picture of cleansing. So what Jesus is saying that you must be born of water and spirit, he's saying there must be a cleansing from your sin that takes place, Nicodemus. There must be a cleansing that happens. But there also, he mentions spirit. Now, while on one hand, it's about a spiritual birth. Also, he's talking about a transformation of the spirit. Ezekiel 36, you can read it later. It's not just about a mindset, it's about a transformation of the heart, that my heart becomes God's heart. So here's what Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you need a new birth. You need a spiritual birth like you've had a physical birth, and that birth requires you to be clean from your sins and requires a transformation of the heart, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, listen, it doesn't happen through religion. It happens through what? Relationship, right? Now, if you're Nicodemus, just track with me for a minute. If you're Nicodemus right now, and you're that kind of obligation, duty kind of guy, and Jesus just said to you, there has to be a cleansing in your heart, and there has to be a trans—I mean, a cleansing in your sin and a transformation of the heart, what's the first thing you think Nicodemus is thinking? Come on, what do you think he's thinking? Okay, I need to make a list of how to cleanse myself of my sin, right? I need to make a list of how my heart can be transformed. I mean, are you tracking with me on that? I mean, Nicodemus, based on his upbringing, we can assume that maybe his first thought was, hey, I need to make a list of what it means to be clean before God. I need to make a list of what it means to have a heart that's been transformed. And then Jesus, knowing Nicodemus' heart, says something that's so profound. Look with me in verse 6 through 8. He says this. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Talking about the natural birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit, the spiritual birth. Do not marvel that I say to you must be born again. Because the wind, the wind translates in the Greek as spirit there. The spirit blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you didn't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Now here's what Jesus is saying. He's putting icing on the cake. He's saying, listen, salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, what is born in the flesh is flesh. What's born in the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I'm saying you have to be born again because there's a Holy Spirit who's moving. He's coming and going. He's like the wind. You don't know when he's coming. You don't know when he's going. But here's what you need to know, Nicodemus. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is not your work. It's not who you are. It's not what you can do for yourself. In fact, Jesus implying that salvation, that we are powerless to do it on our own that requires the work of the Holy Spirit, right? And here's a guy who's got this to-do list. What must I do? What must I do to be clean? What must I do to have a heart that's being changed? And Jesus says, listen, the work of salvation is through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now hear me this morning. The work of salvation is through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. No one ever wakes up and goes, hey, I think I'm going to take on Jesus today. No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling the struggle inside of you, it's probably not acid reflux today. It's probably not heartburn. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit, right? Because salvation comes through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one more thing I want you to notice because here's what's sad. About, I mean, listen, here's what's sad. The guy who was the most educated in the truth of the Old Testament missed it. Think about that. The guy who had spent more time than maybe anybody else in Scripture missed it. For him, it was all about duty and being, and it was never about a relationship. And Jesus has turned his thinking upside down, hasn't he? There's one more thing I want you to notice with me in the text, and it's this. It's the heart of God. See, here's what happens. Here's what happens. In verses 9 through 15, Jesus rebukes Nicodemus. He does. You can read it for yourself later. He basically rebukes him. He's like, Nicodemus, man, you've you've experienced all this stuff, and and yet you still don't get it. And you probably know the verse we're about to read, but you've never heard it in context of the story. It's at the end of the story when Jesus is wrapping up his time with Nicodemus, after he's talked about this religious mindset and told him that he was wrong, and he's talked about the truth about what it means to have a relationship with him, at the very end of this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, we see the true heart of God come out, and it's this verse, John 3.16. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's what he told Nicodemus. And listen, it's not about duty. It's not about being. It is about a relationship. And let me tell you how much your heavenly father wants a relationship with you. He so loved this world. This rebellious, wretched, distraught, depraved world that his love moved him to action and sent his only son. Me, right? Me. Jesus is like, it was me. It was me, Nicodemus. His only son. 
Because God has a heart for you and I to spend forever with him. I mean, I love what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Because the same thing's true for us. The heart of God is the same thing today that it was way back then. That God still has a heart for you and I to spend eternity with him. He still has a heart for you and I to experience the abundant life. That many of us, quite frankly, are not experiencing today. So I have two challenges for you this morning. And they're going to seem kind of counterproductive. But I, I want to give them to you. And I want you to follow with me just for a minute. First of all, I want to challenge you this. Don't be like Nicodemus. Don't have the same mindset of Nicodemus. Even if you're a follower of Jesus today, somehow maybe, maybe you're trying to appease God and make God feel like, feel like God's applauding you from heaven going, man, you're doing such a great job. You're reading your Bible every day. You're praying. You're giving your money. But be careful that maybe those things have become religious duty for you versus the overflow of your love for him. Be careful of that. And listen, I'm going to tell you as a believer for 30 some odd years, that is an easy place to get into. It's easy to get into a routine and I do it out of obligation and just because I always do it instead of my overwhelming passion and love for him. It is easy place to get to. It's easy. And so I want to challenge you, don't have the mindset of Nicodemus because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship and a growing, nurturing relationship. Here's the second challenge I want to give you, which is going to seem totally odd. I hope you're exactly like Nicodemus. Well, Doug, that sounds stupid because you just told me don't be like him. Well, don't be like him in his mindset, religious mindset. But here's how I do want you to be like Nicodemus. Have the same heart as Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus knew something wasn't right, didn't he? He knew in verse 2 that something wasn't right because what did he do? He went to Jesus at nighttime, didn't he? I mean, he knew something was wrong, and he was willing to admit that there's a struggle that's going on inside of me. And I hope you have the heart of Nicodemus, that you understand that maybe there is a struggle going inside of you. But then also the heart of Nicodemus was he could have gone to anybody, but who did he go to? Who'd he go to? Come on, not a trick question. Who'd he go to? Jesus. Hey, no matter what you're going through, I know a guy who always has the answer. And it's not this one. It's Jesus. See, I love the fact that Nicodemus knew that there was something struggling inside of him, and then he went to Jesus. Man, what an awesome heart. He could have gone anywhere. He could have lived his life in doubt and question and never visited Jesus and just wrestled for the rest of his days, but that's not what he did. He went to Jesus. And then the third thing that you see in the heart of Nicodemus is this, and you don't see it in this passage, but John chapter 19 you see it is that his heart was changed for Christ. That Nicodemus eventually became a follower of Jesus. We see that when Jesus is taking off the cross and he and Joseph Arimathea make sure that he's taken care of. Nicodemus had a heart for Christ. So on one hand, don't be like him. Don't have the mindset of Nicodemus. But on the other side, have the heart of Nicodemus who was a heart that understood he was struggling, a heart that went to Jesus to find the answer. See, Nicodemus finally understood something that I hope we get today. He finally understood that there is more, that God has more for us. He understood that good people need to be born again, that religious people need to be born again, and dare I say this, that maybe church members need to be born again. See, he understood that religion is deceptive and leads to destruction, but relationship leads to eternal life and abundant life. And where do you find yourself? See, I think there's two kinds of people in the room today. 
There's those of you in the room that are like Doug. Man, you're, you are, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know that you've given your life to Christ. You know you belong to him, and you're a follower of Jesus. So if that's you today in the room, here's what I want to ask you, okay? How well are you developing your relationship with Christ? If it's not about religion, but about a relationship, how well are you nurturing the relationship you have with him? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Do you give your tithes and offerings to the Lord through the church? Do you share your faith with people that don't know Christ? I know some of you are thinking, well, Doug, you just spent 30 minutes telling me that if I'm not careful, that's religious activity. Yes, 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 I am telling you that. See, what I do for the Lord, I don't do to be accepted by God. I do it because I am accepted by God. Does that make sense? The things I do out of obedience, I'm not doing it so God will go, oh, Doug, I'm so proud of you. You're well done, my faithful son. I mean, that's not why I do this stuff. I do this stuff. I pray. I read my Bible. I give. I tithe because I love him. I just love him. And he's worth it. Amen? He's worth it. Not because I have to. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and, you, and you're wrestling today with some stuff and maybe you look at your life and you're not growing and you're not nurturing your walk with Christ, listen to me. I, my prayer is that every week this altar is filled with people who are just crying out to God, who are just on their knees before a holy God going, I need you. Listen, I don't care who you are, how spiritual, every day we need him. Every day I need him. And maybe today you've bought into some apathy in your journey with Christ. You just have got to that place where you just kind of feel blah. But you want to get back on track. You want to start living for him, and, and you want him to empower you, to, to, and, and you, want to, you want to love him, so you're going to read. I mean, if that's you today, I'm going to ask you in a minute just to join me down here on our knees and just pray and say, God, I, I, I've been apathetic, and I, I confess that to you, Lord, but no longer. No longer do I want to be apathetic. No longer do I want to just settle for mediocrity in my faith. I love you, Lord, and I want to start living like that. If you're a believer, that's your challenge today. That's, that's my request of you. And also, if you're a believer, knowing how well you nurture your relationship with God, but listen, how well are we at sharing the message of Christ with people who don't know Christ? Are we doing that? I want you to do a 10-second survey. You ready? Look around the room. What do you see? Come on, look around the room. That's all right. I know I'm awesome to look at, but look at somewhere else. Look around the room, all right? Look around the room. What do you see? Okay, people, it's not what I see. What do you see? Come on, what do you see? Souls, yep, I see that a little bit. What else? What? Empty seats. I see empty seats. Now, listen, if we have a heart for people who are lost, look at me, look at me. Just Can you hear the heart of your pastor this morning? Here's my heart this morning. We need to look at these empty seats and go, no more. I've got neighbors, I've got friends, I've got people I know. I mean, even if you have to bribe them with lunch afterwards, it doesn't matter. Or say, hey, my pastor will take you to lunch. That's okay, too. I mean, whatever it takes, we need to be to the place where we are enjoying the fact that these seats are being filled up. Not so we can fill the seats up, but because we know more people are coming to hear the truth about a king who could change their life. No more. And if you're a believer in the room today, my prayer is that you would join me. If you're already growing and nurturing your relationship with God, that you would join me today. And we would pray, pray for lost people. Pray for people who have been broken and hurt by church, that they would find a home here. And would you join me praying that way? Come on, believers, will you join me today and do that? And then if you're here today and you don't know Christ, here's my heartbeat for you. Something in you is trying to get you to win over God's love by what you do. And here's what I want to tell you. It's never going to work. 
It's never going to work. You can't perform well enough to be loved by God. But I can tell you this, he loves you enough that doesn't matter. He loves you anyway. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, listen to me, it's, the Christianity is not a checklist of things you have to do. It's about a person who you get to know and to live for and to love. And if you want that today, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to have deacons on both sides. We want to tell you what it means to know Christ because it's not about religion. It is about a relationship. So I'm going to ask you, would everybody stand with me? Everybody stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just stand with me. Just stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. If I could have some deacons on both sides, that would be great. Just join me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you're a follower of Christ today, you know Jesus is your Savior. But man, you're struggling with some apathy today. You're struggling with just not living for Christ the way you should. Man, would you join me today on these rugs and just pray and cry out to God? Say, God, I, I surrender my heart to you again. I, I recommit to living for you. I, I've become humdrum in my life, and I don't want that anymore. Or if you're already growing in your walk with Christ and you're nurturing that, but you're not reaching people. Hey, listen, Jesus is the best news you could ever share with anybody. His love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Would you join me today in praying on these, this altar that God would bring lost people, that God would bring neighbors, that God would fill this place so that people can hear the truth of his love and his mercy. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you want to experience not religion, but you want to experience a relationship with him, we would love to talk to you more about that. So I'm going to pray. And if you need to move today, pray at this altar, come pray. If you need to accept Christ, come find one of us. We'd love to talk to you. If you just need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. But let's respond the way God wants us to. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. God, you are an amazing God. God, I love you and I praise you for all that you've done for us. I thank you that as I look at the story of Nicodemus, I see myself in there sometimes. I see myself in there trying to, trying to figure out how to, to please you by simply doing instead of doing because I love you. So God, help us. Help, help believers today. May we fight the mindset of religion. And may we embrace that we are in a relationship, a living, loving relationship with you, the creator of the universe. You're mindful of us. You love us. And may we celebrate that. And may we recommit to strengthening that relationship. May we commit as believers to sharing the good news with the lost. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you that today they would come to a place of repentance. They would come to a place of turning from their sin and trusting Jesus. God, be with us today. May your spirit move. May it wreck us. May it challenge us. But may we leave this place today changed by your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and we need you in this hour. For in your precious and your Holy Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You move as you need to.